Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, friends. Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Well, kind of. This is a little different. I appeared on the Chris Sims Unbuttoned Podcast, which you can find on basically any podcast platform, as you know, because Chris was on this podcast just last week. He's now full-time at NBC Sports, meaning he can do digital work for us, meaning he has a digital show on YouTube and obviously his show that is a podcast. This is a piece of that podcast where I was on on Thursday for about 45 minutes. You know, Chris and I haven't really gotten to talk about prospects, and it's always fun when two people watch a lot of players yet have never compared notes on them. And guess what? You'll hear us unfiltered, swap notes, exchange evals, and not necessarily try to change the other person's opinion, but really just back up what we see. We hit on the likes of Hakeem Butler. We hit on Ed Oliver, who I think is a top five prospect in this class. Rashawn Gary, my difficulties evaluating Paris Campbell. And a lot of Devin Singletary, who I'm a big believer in, and he's outside of Chris's top five running backs. If you like this podcast at all, be sure to subscribe to Chris Sims Unbuttoned. Again, I'll most likely appear on that show throughout draft season. And if you want me to appear on that show, hey, go on Twitter and tweet at CSimsQB. You're kind of like the driving force to get me on stuff on NBC Sports, to be perfectly honest. So if you want me to appear on more things, hey, again, at CSimsQB and let him know to get me on his show. I do want to give a few thank yous to those of you that have left reviews as of late. KBAR99, thank you. Cody Kutzer, thank you. And Saver4321. You guys are so awesome. Be sure, all of you, if you like this episode, to hit that subscribe button and also leave us a rating and review. It takes about 30 seconds to do. You can just do it on your phone. Also, uh, tomorrow, I'll have Mike Renner of PFF on the show. We talk about prospects that we are both unreasonably high on during this draft process. It's a lot of fun, and you kind of get to peek behind the curtain of PFF a little bit. And also, later on in this weekend, I'll have Evan Silva back with like a five or six wide receiver discussion. Got a lot of fun stuff in the tank, so be sure to hit that subscribe button. All right, here's my time with Chris Sims and Ahmed Farid on Chris Sims Unbuttoned. 
Let's get into this top 50 here because I think there's a lot of really cool. We're going to go through, uh, kind of key in on on three positions, quarterback, wide receiver, running back, where you do have some differences. But I do want to just go over your top five real quick. You got you, you have you both have Kyler Murray at the top. Do, am I no am doubt right on that? You both have Kyler Murray on top. Nick Bosa, two. Yes. Quinn and Williams, three is what Josh has. I think I, if I had to do a top 50, which I will do at some point, mm-hmm. I think I would Ooh. probably echo that one, two, three. First of all, this is where I respect uh, Josh a lot. I don't. You know, the way people talk about Kyler Murray, they talk about him like he's the number one prospect in the draft. But then I look at other people's top rankings, and he's not in the top ten. And I want to go, well, why? So yeah. some of these people who had Sam Darnold number one last year, I want to go, he has a stronger arm than Sam Darnold. He is a better athlete than Sam Darnold. He doesn't have turnover problems like Sam Darnold does. So I just don't get that. It's almost like uh, they're not reading their own reports. There. And really how I rank these prospects, that if I believe a quarterback is going to be a quality starter – that instantly shoots them to the top no, of the board. No doubt about it. Because I, there's nothing that changes a team more right. than having a quality starter at quarterback. Yes. And and if I think someone has that potential possibly, then I put them after all first-round caliber grades. That's why Dwayne Haskins is further down the list. I'm sure we'll get to that later. But Kyler Murray is absolutely someone. And I, I love Josh Rosen last year. I get and it. And we talked about this on the podcast yep. last week. Um, from a passing quarterback standpoint, I might consider them coming into the league equal prospects, but they're drastically different packages. Exactly. We talked about this in that with Kyler Murray, it kind of fits where the quarterback at, in terms of young quarterbacks are going with outside of structure as their second option. Right. Being able to succeed with your feet, with your movement, it allows you to mask possible deficiencies no as a doubt. passer. Right. Mitch Trubisky's done that. Josh Allen's done that. Carson Wentz right. has done that. And a rookie head coach you would think would like that uh, in his arsenal. Yeah, I, I said this today with Mike Florio. This, all this talk, just why we're on it with the Rosen thing, it's not an indictment on Josh Rosen. He is right. still an NFL starting quarterback, and I really think he has a chance to be a really good football player. The problem is they're picking number one, and Kyler Murray – has some attributes that really only a few people in the history of the sport have had at the quarterback position. So I think that's really where the, the problem lies here. It's not about an indictment on Josh Rosen. And as much as we talk about Kyler Murray's mobility, it's not like he's a running quarterback. No, exactly right. He, he uses it as his advantage outside of structure when yes. necessary. And there are even times when he can use it more often. Yeah. Um, you but, did note in your report on him that he sometimes turns down a 17-yard gain for the seven-yard run, a 17-yard pass for and, the 7 run. And to me, that is the negative with being a mobile quarterback at times, and I'm sure Chris will agree with this, that there are times when you know he evades that outside rush and mm-hmm. climbs the pocket, and as he's moving forward, he does keep his eyes up, yeah. but he takes the run for a seven-yard gain right. instead of hitting that open receiver at the last moment. And, you know, more of a statuesque quarterback like a Josh Rosen might do that. But with Kyler, look, you're still gaining seven yards and Yeah, he's taking the sure thing in those instances maybe more than more than not. But I think he will get to the point where he'll hit that 17-yard yeah. in cut. And he's going to have to at the NFL level because it is a different animal as far as the linebackers and safeties and defensive ends that are going to be yeah. chasing him, certainly. And, and it's not just the short passes. It's not just the intermediate passes. Right. He loves to go deep. All right, loves so you, guys, you guys agree on Kyler, and that's boring. We, I don't like that. No, okay, so <laughs> I'm gonna, let's get into some disagreements before you get into these few yeah. positions because we get to the, the top three and we agree. But then, okay, and I haven't done my deep, deep dive on D tackles and all the interior D linemen yeah. yet, right? Okay, but I've watched enough to have a feel for it. He's got Ed Oliver, number four, okay? Right. So I want to hear why there yep. because I have a few concerns. And let me just lay out my concerns, and then you could talk. I think the thing is, I don't even know what position he's going to play in the NFL yet. He's a phenomenal athlete, mm-hmm. a specimen. I get that. He has some elite traits, and we talk about that. You and I talked about that as far as being a top pick in the draft. 
you have to have those things. But I don't know if he can play defensive tackle in the NFL with the way I saw him take on double teams and, and things like that. And he didn't play against necessarily SEC or Big Ten offense alignment, sure. too. So I just want to hear you defend him a little bit there. So I don't think he's going to play where he played at Houston. I, I and don't too think often either, at right. Houston, he played as a one technique. Right. meaning Like a true nose. As a true nose, either right. over top, which is a zero, or one, which is the shade to the center. Right. Um, he most likely will fill that three technique role in the NFL, which is just outside of the guard. Right. Um, he is 6'2", yes. 287 pounds. Right. We've seen players at that size, maybe a little bit heavier, come yeah. to the league and honestly be a bit overlooked. I mean, your Aaron Donald drop behind yeah, that's Greg exactly Robinson. Right. I get you. Um, you had Mike Daniels entering the league from Iowa at that weight. Right. Geno Atkins. Sure. Grady Jarrett. I, I mean, I can you. even throw in Puna Ford from last year from Texas. Yeah. Undrafted free agent as a fantastic the Seattle player. Seahawks, right. To me, you can't really match up his first and second step with anyone else in this class. Yeah. He instantly wants to play in the opponent's backfield. Right. And I understand maybe if he takes on double teams that that's not going to be his game. Yeah. But in terms of creating disruption, you can play the run on the way to the pass. And there are so few players in the league now that you can say, hey, I'm going to line you up and I, I can potentially help you and, and let you win in one-on-one situations. Those are few and far between. And we're seeing teams now manufacture pressure more than ever. No doubt. Aaron Donald can do that, and he just moves differently. Mm. He has bend. He has flexibility on the interior spot no. where some of those guards and tackles are so stationary and, sure. and wrestlers in some ways. And just the way he can attack the backfield and play in the backfield, yeah. it's, it's absolutely incredible. Well, it's fun to watch. One of the things I did like about what you wrote about him, and, and, and yeah, listen, I think the guys, we're, we're talking about phenomenal football players yeah. here, so we're not trying to yuck, you know, where would knock you down. Have them? Where would you have them? I, I, I mean, I haven't got through deep enough to know where I would rank them, but I, I would think somewhere probably between, I'm going to say 12 and 24 wow. in that range, I okay. think. Good. But I haven't got all the way through yeah, yet, yeah, yeah. so I don't want to put myself in a, in a corner there. But the one thing I did like about what I read you there, you know, you, you talked about, you brought up the name Melvin Ingram. Right? Yes, And I think that could be a very real possibility for this kid because I doubt he played at 287 pounds. That's where That's I have fair. a question. I would think he was probably like 275, something like that. But he's athletic enough to be truly an edge pass rusher, 4-3 defense, and who moves into defensive tackle maybe on a third down or something like that. Melvin Ingram is an interesting one because he barely played at South Carolina yeah. until his final season. Right. He was even like a returner in some instances. Yep. Um, and he played defensive tackle at South Carolina. It was even smaller, like 260, 270. I think he was, right. And then moved out to the edge. I've even seen some people mention like a Teddy Bruschi type role here where you move him from defensive uh, tackle that, to linebacker. Yeah, I've heard the outside linebacker thing from even people in the NFL who have so, done, yeah. Let me ask you this, Chris. Yeah, right. Do you really want to move a player that is so successful close to the football right. further away from the football? I would not, no. That would not be – I can understand the thought of him maybe being a 3-4 outside linebacker, but – no, to me, I would want him at a defense and three technique type of position okay. to get his to show his athleticism and disruption, like you're talking about. We we all have biases, yeah. Okay, when we evaluate, like there are certain parts that really stand out whenever we're watching any type of prospect. Yep. For me, it's interior defensive linemen that can bend and have flexibility, and what they do best is they react to surprise movements in front of them. Yeah. So what. At Oliver is so good, he can shoot gaps. If you try to saw that with him. Oh, if you try to reach block him, he's instantly going to be in the backfield. Yeah, good night. Now, there are a lot of defensive tackles that once they get to the backfield, a quicker, smaller running back is able to avoid them in one or two steps. Yeah. And those defensive tackles get stuck in the mud. Sure. You know, they, they have wasted movement to try to make a play in the backfield. 
That's not at Oliver. It makes my heart flutter when I see this. <laughs> like, I just that's love this bias, stuff. But that's okay. And, and, and to me, again, interior disruption is king. And I understand they only had 13 and a half sacks. And you talked about this yesterday. But to me, disruption is production. Yes. And, he, and he can offer that at any level. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. So, and then the other one. And Chris's bias is spandex. If the if they guy looks good in spandex, it's, he's moving up at least five, maybe ten spots. spots. I mean, he looks good in spandex, too, let me just tell you. Real quick, back on yeah. quarterback, because I know we've talked about this a lot. You right. Dwayne Haskins. You have Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback, over Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, for, very for close to me. Chris, Chris yep. has that. Yep. Uh, Josh does not. He yes. has uh, Dwayne Haskins, I think, 19 overall mm-hmm. in, your, in your top 50, and you have Drew Locke as the last, 50th overall in your top 50. So, to me, Drew, Drew Locke just isn't my type. Okay. Um, and I, I think that we can see the same thing and value it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, with Drew Locke, to me, and it's – I can't believe I'm telling a quarterback how I view quarterbacks. <laughs> Don't but worry. That's, it's that's not a big podcast. deal. That doesn't mean anything. Um, I have difficulty when – you don't know what you're going to get from a quarterback in the face of pressure. Sure. In the face of disruption. Right. I don't know if really with quarterbacks you can, one, fix your throwing motion. I'm not saying that's an issue for Drew yeah, Locke. right. But two, their footwork and their reaction to pressure. Sure. And far too often with me with Drew Locke when he was facing discomfort, when he was facing disruption, I mean, things went chaotic. And rather than, you know, throw the football away, he's throwing an interception. Yeah, sure. And I, I just – don't think that I value that. And I understand he has a huge arm. I understand that he can make throws in those same instances that other people can't. But that that just scares me to death. I understand it. I understand it's scaring you. There are definitely some head-scratching decisions and interceptions there. Those are things I just look at, and, and from my point of view, where I go, you can you can teach people out of those things. To teach you them really? how to man- You could definitely teach them how to manage the game differently yeah. and be smarter in those decisions. And especially, this is the big point with Drew Locke that I would like to make, is... When you're more of an equal playing field, I mean, I think I said to this, that this to you before, with Drew Locke, I mean, almost every game they were in in the SEC, they were the lesser team on the field. So he had to push the envelope a little bit to keep the team competitive. And sometimes he made the big throws to go, wow, okay, here they go. They got a chance to maybe upset, you know, South Carolina in South Carolina. But then at the same time, he makes a dumb interception and yeah. like he's going to throw a screen pass and it's not there and he's about to fall down. He throws it anyways. Like with those things, I totally understand it. We see it a little differently, but that's all good. Um, yeah. What okay. else? Did you want to talk okay. about anything like else with the quarterback? I'm, I'm starting to like the disagreement because we have, we're getting some more of it. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm ready to move on to wide receivers. Okay, go okay? ahead. Oh, yes. Oh, because I know. wide receiver, we, yeah. have, we have something here. You, you both are high on uh, DK Metcalf right. out, of, out of Old Miss. Right. Chris, you have him number one. Yep. He's your top receiver. Josh, yep. you have him as the number two mm-hmm. receiver, but the, the receiver receiver that Josh has number oh, one, Chris, I know. you do not even have in your top five. No. And the name of that person is Hakeem Butler yes. out of Iowa State. Right. So, Chris, first of all, well, we'll start with you. Why do you hate Hakeem Butler? <laughs> what an asshole you are, okay? I just want to You're know an what asshole, you have against him. An asshole him. wearing white shoes today, yeah, okay? Like That's what you are, okay? <laughs> yeah, the first just time Just so we know this. that. Uh, but <laughs> they, they really He's do going look. bowling after they this, look actually. Good. i got to really turn them back in. Yeah, I'll get my real shoes after this podcast is done. Uh, I don't hate the kid, okay? Just okay. so yeah. he is a. You just hate him as a football player. I'm sorry. <laughs> he is a big target. Uh, 50-50 ball, certainly impressive. Back shoulder catches, impressive. 
uh, ability to break some tackles and make mm-hmm. some yak, pretty impressive. The thing I would throw back is Big 12, we're not talking about one cornerback in the Big 12 that's going to go in the NFL. Texas is the only team that even has guys that are really in the draft conversation. I take that into account. Mm-hmm. I take the style of play he played against in the Big 12 and go, man, did he get a lot of free releases and slot Ooh. plays where nobody touched him and got that. The other thing I would just say is he is a little bit too much lumbering to me. I understand the value of him, but the route running, the explosion out of breaks, things like that are what concerns me, where I see DBs and even linebackers at times being able to stay with him in moments where I just go, "Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong at the end of the day. We'll see. But he's yes, he's certainly not one of my five favorite right now. And what's funny is Chris isn't alone in this opinion. Like, there are a lot of people in this industry that I really respect. And the drops. is, And and we'll get to that. Because he's got great catches, but he does have too many concerning drops. So, Daniel Jeremiah doesn't have Hakeem Butler in his top 50. My friend Dane Brugler of The Athletic has him at number 60 over a Lance Zerline who writes the reports of NFL.com. Right. Has him as his wide receiver 13. So, like, I'm going out on a big limb here with Hakeem Butler. That's too far down, 13. It is. It is. That's excessive. Um, What I love about Hakeem Butler, and it's funny because, whereas with Drew Locke, we kind of saw the same thing valued it differently. I think we're seeing very different prospects. Yeah. Um, he did often, to me, face press coverage. And I, I listened to Chris Ballard recently talk about this, the, the Colts GM. And he said the most difficult part of projecting wide receivers from college to the NFL is that in college, they don't often face that physicality in the first five yards. Right. So you don't know how they're going to react to jams. You don't know their releases. Sure. If you just get a free run, I mean, that's 10 yards immediately. Yes. Hakeem Butler often faced press coverage and had to use a variety of releases to get past that. Now, he's a massive target. I mean, he's 6'5", 227 pounds. We haven't seen that many successful receivers lately with that type of frame. Um, And what I loved also about him was that he lined up on the left side. He lined up on the right side. Sure. He lined up in the left slot. He lined up in the right slot. Definitely. He attacked short, medium, and vertical. Yep. And really, he was the best vertical receiver in this draft class last year. Had the most receiving yards on 20-plus yard passes in this class. I can believe that. Um, I mean, and the body control. I'm not going to say he's A.J. Green. I'm not going to say he's A.J. Green, but he gives me A.J. Green vibes. Yeah. Just I, with I that size. The, the body control. I and that. along I the sideline. Right. And, I mean, just Akeem Butler, to me, is if we're looking for wide receiver ones and that term gets thrown around a lot, yeah. he has that potential. Okay. I disagree with you totally. There. I know you do. Okay. I know you do. Now, can, can we actually like compare him? Because I think yeah, this would be a fun from, exercise. Ten years from now, we'll come back on this podcast. Well, we'll be like, who was real? I, I mean with, like, D.K. Metcalf. Yeah. Because, to me – D.K. Metcalf is a complete projection. No doubt about it. Because at Ole Miss, D.K. Metcalf only played on one side of the field. Mm -hmm. He only played on the left side. All of his routes were run on a vertical plane. It was go routes, comebacks. Maybe a slant. Maybe a slant every once in a while. Right. And also there wasn't a lot of production. So to me, when I'm looking at that type of player, that's a complete projection to me because I don't know since he was able just to stand on one side of the formation he was able to master those releases he was able to master that footwork and that scares me a little bit compared to Butler where I know he can win through right, I'll just fight back with this yeah, one and this go is great if you put DK Metcalf on the other side of the field he's not gonna go oh my gosh I'm on the right side so I, I don't think I think you're making too big of a deal out of that but we saw we saw that same issue with Kevin White coming out of school because okay, Kevin sure. White did the exact same thing but I know and I, I I was not high on Kevin White coming out either I, I had concerns about Kevin White. DK Metcalf is a little different to me just because, first of all, I think some of the issues you're talking about are old Miss's offense. Okay. And if the 
quarterback could hit him when he was open, he might have had an extra 700 yards to the games I watched. So those are things I take into account too. But certainly, it's a tough eval because it is limited. Yeah. There, there is not huge production. Um, Ole Miss's offense at time, I mean, like brain blow up emoji. I, I honestly watched some games going, are they trying to win here mm. or are they trying to mm. find the least talented guy on the field to give him the ball? Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand any of it. So I took all that into account, but all good. You still like DK Metcalf. You just know it's a projection. Totally. Yes. Totally. Um, and quickly with Hakeem Butler, just yeah. going back to him. Yeah. Turn on the – did you get to watch the Iowa game? The You know what? I don't know if I have okay. watched the Iowa Fourth game. Fourth and one yeah. in the third quarter. Right. He, won, he runs a whip route. Right. And sinks his hips. Sure. Is able I, to create separation, just super close line of scrimmage. And again, you don't see these 6'5, 225 plus pound receivers do that. And finally, Chris, yes. big receivers are back, I yeah. think, in this class. No, like, I, I, I see that for sure. Like yeah. for years, we had, and I even wrote some names down. Mike Williams goes in the top 10. We had Josh Jackson, Laquan Treadwell, Kevin White, Devontae Parker, Kelvin Benjamin. Like these are all big receivers that mm-hmm. were hoping to imitate, you know, your Julio Jones, your AJ Greens, your Mike Evans. And they've, a lot of them have failed. Yes. Yeah. And I, in this class, I bet we get three or four that really succeed. Yeah, this kid has a chance, I think, because of his slot value, too. Yep. I think the NFL has finally come to the terms because of guys like Marquise Colston or even how the Saints use, uh, what the hell's their damn receiver right Michael now? Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas. And Larry really, Fitzgerald does in Arizona. He, right. Too. He's done it at the end of his career. Mm. But they have moved a lot of these big guys into the slot because, yeah, they might not be able to just blow by people on the outside, but they're big targets, they're pretty good route runners, and they're fearless over the middle. And I could see Hakeem Butler being successful in that role. Can we oh, talk you're, about, starting to, you're starting to change his mind Can we, can we talk quickly about yeah. drops and the importance of drops? Sure. That's I a big would, part of yeah, Butler's yeah. evaluation. You, you right. do hear, and, and they're glaring, right? When there's they a are. drop, it's glaring. <laughs> there's some bad ones. If you don't even follow football, you're like, that's not a very good receiver, Honestly, that's part of it because I think it's this bias that we all have that when a player drops it, usually it's a big play that um, doesn't come into fruition, that those stick out, those moments stick out Mm -hmm. in our head. It's kind of like long runs for the running backs, even though that's only equals, you know, five to six percent of a running backs um, full workload, full carries. He, he had, Hakeem Butler has a lot of drops, 16% this year in terms of on-target passes. Damn, is it that many? That's a it's, lot. It's that high. Damn, that's, yeah, that's a but lot. I, all those are all catchable balls? Yes. And so I'm, I'm doing my best. Well, one, he also makes up for uncatchable balls because he catches crazy jump balls and stuff like that. Yes, he does. But I'm doing my best, and I think it was 12 drops on the season. I, I don't want those, like, 12, you know, spotlight plays mm-hmm. to really veil and impact an entire evaluation. I understand it's going to be an issue. But I think the team that drafts him knows it's going to be an issue. Definitely. So they're not going to bench him right. just because he drops a couple right. of passes. It's going to be a little work in progress exactly. there on that. Oh, well, it might not be a huge – you know, you can fix it, but it's still you're a wide receiver. Yep. You're supposed to catch the ball, right. especially the ones it's that you're – yeah. It's his job. It's his job. Yeah. Uh, before we move on from wide receiver, I do want to kind of flip the script a little bit here because there's a guy that Chris is pretty high on that, Josh, you do not have in your top five, and that is Ohio State receiver. Yes. Who uh, led That's the Big Ten in yards per route run? He can play in the slot outside. That's all he does. No, well, it's all he does. No, yeah, he slot. really but plays no. more more in the slot. But yes. he could play outside. There's no he doubt about it. He could play out of the backfield. He could do all that stuff. I'm building up his case for Chris here. It's Paris Campbell out of uh, Ohio State. Do you want to talk? Or do you want me to talk? Go ahead. You got. You want to rip? So, okay. Why do you hate Paris Campbell? Well, and I, I'm not going to say I hate him like okay. Chris says. As a but, football player, but sorry. This is this is this is another projection. Um, because we talk about average depth of target. And what that means is where uh, a player is targeted, how far they are down the field. Hakeem Butler, who we just talked about, is 15 yards down the field. Right. Paris Campbell is four and a half yards. Right. All he did 
I mean, I would say 80% of the routes that he had, if it was zone coverage out of the slot, he'd run a drag and sit in open space between the safety or the linebacker, whoever it is, and no that's doubt. about five yards on the line right. of scrimmage. If it was man coverage, he just continues to run as faster than everyone else, creates that instant separation, and then with the ball in his hands, runs along runs the side. by everybody for 70-yard touchdowns. To me, that's it. Like, oh. that's his game. Okay, but see, this is where you're overanalyzing the situation. Again, he is a top-level elite athlete. He is. You're, you're, you're projecting the offense onto him. Mm. To think, you know, somebody like that isn't going to be able to line up outside and then run a comeback or just blow by somebody in a go route, that is not a him problem to me. That's an Ohio State problem. They used him incorrectly a lot of the times and didn't give him those opportunities to do that. So I understand what you're saying here. It right. is a very limited route tree. It's a shallow cross. It's a Face the no shallow tree. cross no and tree. come it's out. A branch. It's a branch. It's a branch. You're right. It's a branch with a it's small a leaf on tree. it. It's a tree. It's like yes. a young tree. But I don't doubt. I was extremely impressed with his route running. And to me, I want to see you do things like you're saying with Akeem Butler, the 50-50 balls that yeah. are extraordinary, the jump balls, those are extraordinary. Catching balls against Big Ten corners and then outrunning them down the sidelines for long touchdowns and things like that, to me, are things that I don't see a lot of people in this draft being able to do at the wide receiver position. And I think this is an important point that a wide receiver is not a wide receiver is not a wide receiver. In that, I mean, being in the slot is very different than playing outside because the slot just gives you affordable space in the middle that you can sit in right. or run versus man. With Paris Campbell... I believe he's what, like a hundred and how many pounds? Let's look at this. Paris uh, okay. He's two hundred and five pounds. Right. Okay. Right. There are other receivers that were at the NFL Combine that were one hundred and eighty pounds. Mm -hmm. So comparing those to DK Metcalf, to comparing those to Keem Butler is difficult because there's a forty, fifty pound sure. weight difference sure. in those. And. I do think we see it differently. You're just more comfortable with that projection. I am. For Paris Campbell. I, and to me, I didn't see him play at all outside. Right. Like, and, and so, I, to me, I can only go off where he won in college mm -hmm. and where he might win in the NFL. Yeah. And it's an obvious trait of his, and it's kind of his trump card. But, like, I feel like I can find that if I yeah. want to find that. Okay. And, and, it, and it is interesting because the, the GMs and in the, in all of the scouts, they do have to project, right? Because if totally. you do, if you do in miss on a guy. football if, now, if yes, you, you can't, definitely if, have if to. If you can't be uh, imaginative enough and creative enough and, and see this player and be like, okay, this is what I've seen from him, but what can he do? Right. You know, if you, if you can't do that, you do miss out on some guys. So that, that is, it is tough, right? So how do you project what you've seen from a tape and say, okay, I also think he can do this, even though you've never seen that? Right. We're, we're probably, and Chris can answer this better, probably in a lot of private workouts that, that you get to ask them. Because these guys, as we talked about with Ole Miss, as we talked about with uh, Paris Campbell at Ohio State, they might run three routes. And yeah. so hopefully in those private workouts, maybe at the combine, whatever, you get to see at least if they're comfortable in these scenarios from the left or the right side. Yes, right. And I really thought he was. I'm, I'm a really – again, I don't care about the route tree as much. I yeah. really don't. We can go through, you know, Odell Beckham Jr.'s route tree. wasn't that great coming out either. I look for certain movements and abilities to yeah. – Show me he can run these routes. And the one thing I loved about Paris Campbell, and I use this, this phrase a lot, 
He can stick his foot in the ground. You know, he can be going across like he's going to run the shallow cross, jam his foot in the ground, and seamlessly come right back out and explode. Those are the things I look at to go, you know, I think he's going to be able to run a comeback and run straight upfield really fast and jam his foot in the, ra- the ground and come back out again. Again, a lot of his projections with some of these college offenses and this bull crap spread <laughs> shit we see now yeah. all the time to where it makes it tough, right? What, it does make it tough. What is, what is what they can't do and what is what just they haven't done right you know it's tough to force that dj moore last year who's a first rounder out of maryland i mean he ran a look at the quarterback and throw to me or a go route or a slant i mean it wasn't a lot but the thing with dj moore is that continued with the panthers like i wouldn't say he's a great route runner right now no he was he was the the most explosive player on their offense and and the best in the nfl in yards after the catch exactly right so and so yes exactly that that's where he wins that's where he dominates and paris campbell can kind of do that too again takes a five-yard catch and, and then can run out. it 20 right, more yards. Right. Can we go to running back? You're of course. Yeah. Running yeah. Back, right? yeah. So both of you agree as the number one running back available in the draft. That is Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Of I don't think Alabama. there's any – I don't know anybody that doesn't agree with that. I don't mean – I don't know. Do you know anybody in the NFL or scouts nope. where you go? Nope. No. I think that's pretty much slam he's, dunk. He's in his own tier. Pretty much. Tier I think one, he is. only tier. So not for me. So you have – I so have him again, three in a row. So, Josh, you have uh, – your number two running back is not even in Chris's top five. No. And that is Devin Singletary of Florida Right. And you watched him. I did. So Devin Singletary is, an, is, is a difficult evaluation from this standpoint. A lot of the foundation backs that we see in the NFL are 210, 215, 220 at the very least, yes. right? Right. Um, Doesn't Devin, matter, though. I'm not well, obsessed with that. Well, Devin Singletary is 5'8", excuse me, yeah, 5'8", 203 pounds. Right. So it's a different package mm-hmm. that he's coming in. Uh, Chris, I went back, I guess, a couple weeks ago, and I, I watched your top five at the position. And a lot of times you talked about, you know, good running backs pick up the yards blocked for them. And to me, great running backs create on their own. Yeah. At FAU, that offensive line was dog shit. It was absolutely oh. awful. Yeah. We got the E now. We just got the E <laughs> the first time. He wanted to make sure. <laughs> I can't here. do it on my podcast, so I can do it on yours. I know <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, Devin Singletary, I mean, there was so much interior disruption that he had to deal with, like I talked about sure. with Ed Oliver, yep. that he was able to make the first person miss constantly. Now, some of those runs might only end up being a three- or four-yard run, but it it changes from a negative three-yard run into a four-yard gain. Totally. That's a difference. The hidden yards is seven mm-hmm. there, right? Um, now, he might not have the long speed to reel off these 20-plus yard runs, but winning after contact, which he does great for a running back that size, mm-hmm. winning, like I said, and you watch him against Oklahoma, like there was this linebacker or safety that was coming through this lane. He would press this lane and instantly hop over to the yeah, next sure. Lane. No, his, his short area quickness, change of direction skills are phenomenal. And we know Oklahoma's mm-hmm. pretty good at football. Right. And so being able to do that against that competition and then create a big gain is, he reminds me of Frank Gore. I'll throw it out there. He okay. reminds me a lot of Frank Gore's game. And I'm not saying he's, you know, the perfect prospect. I, I don't think this running back class I mean, is very good. didn't throw to him this past year. Six catches, 36 yards. He was not a part of the and passing that's game. That's a major yeah. issue. Yeah, but that's all right. I, you know, even just the few catches I saw, it, was, it didn't look like he was fighting the ball. It looked natural to me to where, again. He had caught more in the past. I, this past yeah, year. I just I see, see those things to me. I don't. I'm not going to over evaluate. Does the guy look pretty natural catching the ball? Okay, he's a top tier athlete. I'm not going to go. Oh gosh, he didn't catch enough balls. I'm scared. Those are little things you can find out at a workout, personal, right away. Same thing we just talked about. Exactly it's not that right. He can't do it. He Certainly. Just didn't do it. And, I, and just so 
Josh. Yeah, what did you think of him? I like Devin a lot. I think the thing that um, I wish I had my other notebook so I could really show you the things that were in my notes because I don't have it here with me. But either way, uh, I think the thing that, you know, the quickness, the things you talked about in space, they're all legit. But I just felt like the kid Darrell Henderson from Memphis was a better version and more explosive and actually more powerful than he was. And they have that same type of body type. So Singletary, I can't remember if I had him like six or seven. He was just outside of my top five. But I understand his value. He is going to be a third down back or some, you know, hey, really, you don't even have to be a third down back in this day and age in the NFL. We, We just saw the Chicago Bears with a guy like, Tariq Cohen. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this is the type of guy he could be. I just don't think he has the straight-ahead explosion as some of those guys, and that's what concerns me. He doesn't. To right. me, he's a foundation back type player yeah. in a passing game back size. I think so. And right. and, and that's the yeah. difficulty of it. And speaking of Daryl Henderson, quickly yeah. after this random comparison to you, right. he reminds me of Willie Parker. Of Willie, okay, I could see that a little bit. I think he's got better quicks than Willie Parker. Willie Parker was a little too much straight liner. Got it. Where Henderson, I felt like, can make some people miss in space, just like you're saying Singletary. He also could. likes Henderson more than I do. Yeah. Interesting. What an asshole this guy is. Get him off my show. <laughs> I know, right? Well, that's good. I mean, this is good, though. I feel like we're learning Nicole, what goes into the kick thought. his ass out of here, okay? Because a lot of times, you know, and, and Josh, you did a great job of writing up a little explainer on each of the top 50 prospects you did. Chris will do that, too. But oftentimes you just see a list, and you don't get to hear the thought process going into yep. it and how it's not an exact science and how you guys struggle with it just as much as anyone else that would be doing it at home. But – at the end of the day, you have to, you have to make a call, right. and you have to put some player because we make you, yep. we make you do that, yeah. And so you have to put some of these players. Were like you? The other players. Can I ask him this question? Yeah. Were you in the Patriots draft room when they would stack the board? Because it's it's very it's very no, you weren't. <laughs> because and the Patriots are dressed. I don't know if you know this. The, the pa- Patriots are drastically different. Where well, they send scouts home in like March. And they'll basically like put the board together just with five or six or seven people in the draft room. They don't want anyone. Else no to doubt. I wasn't even allowed. Let me. This is this is this is what the Patriots draft room was. First of all, yeah. it has a draft board <laughs> with a metal garage door over it, so nobody can look at it. Yeah. And you're not even allowed in the room. And then this time of the year, it's literally like Bill Belichick, Nick Casario. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, I don't even Robert know if anybody Kraft. else. Rob Kraft. They might be the only three people that, and they go in the room like this. They like they look around as they're yeah. like turning the key. They're like, yeah, they're looking. Okay, yeah. and they go in. Yeah, right. I mean, it's so top secret. Me in the draft room. Well, Are you kidding me? But, but they, why? Ask if you were still there, like, what would it be now? Eight years? Would you be in the draft? Room, no, I think? Yeah. no. I don't. Nobody's in that draft it's, room except the major players there. It's so funny when you see these, like, draft room cameras during draft weekend because all of them, I mean, they're full. They're packed to the gills with every single scout, every single assistant, whoever, people putting – I mean, I was in the Rams draft room when I was just an intern one year. Right. But meanwhile, the Patriots, it's just four or five people in there. No doubt. But the reason I ask that question is because, like, it can be easy to rank positions. You know, oh, I like this guy better, so I'm going to have him above him. It's drastically different doing the board that is horizontal, basically. Yes, right. And vertical. Compared quarterback of, to an interior. Yeah, really valuing as the total prospect yeah. and where they rank in the big picture of things. And that's where saying. needs factor in. Right. Like that's, and since I'm not evaluating for a certain position or sure. a certain team, then I can't factor in needs. You know, I'm just trying to project. You're tracking the players you think are best. You're right. Yeah. It's just like the edge guys. Some teams are going to like a guy that needs a pure pass rusher. Some other teams with the, on the edge are going to want a guy that's, you know, can play to the, the tight end tackle side and handle that. So there is, there's, it is about needs a little bit. What are you laughing at? Just, you just getting kicked out after doing your job. Like, oh. That would, that would <laughs> irk me if I worked for the Patriots. Because, like, you do your job from 
September yeah. until March. Yep. It's like, nah, this is the biggest weekend of the year in terms of roster building. We're good. Yeah, just they, go uh, home. They, just say, they, th- they say, thank you for your service. We just don't trust you. No, we, yeah, whatever. I mean, hey, New England, that's, the, that's just the way they are in New England. And it's pretty hard to argue with the results. Right. So. Yeah, it seems like until they start losing, that's probably the way to, way to go by. Do we have time for one more? Can we do, can we do one more? Uh, okay, so the, the last one I want to do here. You're such a I'm up stir in the pot over here. That's yeah, all I'm I like doing. to see you guys go at it and get angry. Um, so the one that I want to do here is um, an edge rusher out of Michigan, New Jersey guy, Rashawn Gary, who I know from talking to Chris very high on. Yes. Not just because he's a New Jersey kid, right. but that's part of it. Yeah. That's uh, part, I mean, that always bumps him up a little bit in your eyes. I right? know he's got a little Jersey toughness to him. So you, We're and, not that far off. I probably love him more. But well, where'd after you, the combine, you were saying he's, you know, maybe, maybe top five with all that talent. Yeah. Um, then yesterday you put him as number two edge rusher. Yeah. So, so Josh has him as his number 16 overall. So really not low on him. Right. But still right. Uh, 16 overall. But here's some direct quotes from Josh's story Uh-oh. on Roto World. Where is the pass rush plan? Where is the bend? When is he attacking the edges? When does he use his length? A lot of questions for Rashawn Gary and Josh's mind. Sure. I like Rashawn Gary a lot, Mm -hmm. but I want Rashawn Gary to end up in like a Mike Zimmer type coach defense because I think you brought up this name. Danelle Hunter, to me, is why I value athleticism so much at the edge and along the interior because, I mean, if you think about it in its simplest terms, right? It's one of the true one-on-one matchups on an NFL field. Yep. So if you have a significant advantage athletically as a leg up, that's a great starting sure. point. Right. And Rashawn Gary has, you know, a fastball right now if we're talking about yeah. baseball. In that he has this one pitch that can be successful and be productive in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, just a speed rush to the outside, hopefully going against a heavy foot offensive tackle. And again, you can press the pocket. You can move the quarterback off his spot. To me, though, there's no counter move. There's, and consistently, I should say. There are flashes of just about everything sure. with Sean Gary. Nothing consistent. Whereas, you know, he might set up this outside move earlier in the game and then later on <clears throat> hit an inside move later on in the draft. Or once he gets pocket depth, you know, put his foot in the dirt and get, then take a straight line to the quarterback. Right. Just none of that is there. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of thought to his game right now. And that's why, to me, the other guys, the other edge rushers, show that a lot more. But, again, I do think Rashawn Gary's a first-round Yeah, no, player. obviously. I mean, you had him as, what, your 15th overall, yes. 18th 16, overall? 16, 16 right yeah. Now, so, yeah. I, I get it. I understand some of the things he's saying are very valid. I just go off my experience and go, like, some of the things, again, that he says, I almost like. He, he'll get taught these things at the NFL level. So. He's just doing it with raw ability at this point right now. He's been right able now. to be very successful without right. his And he's a different and edge guy than Nick Bosa or Josh Allen to me. I think the, the beauty of Rashawn Gary, Gary uh, is the – the position versatility as far as, like I, I mentioned, he was a lot like Michael Bennett, okay. where he's going to be a – he could be a strong side DN and take the double team of the tackle and the tight end and split them and cause disruption. But at the same time, if you needed to put him on three at three technique versus yeah. a passing team and have a mismatch against a guard in passing situations, I, mean, I think he could be a handful there. And that's where I value him a lot as well. Do you think he can win inside as a pass rusher? Like, do you think he can do the Trey Flowers outside and totally go do. against, you know, I, your – Less athletic into your offensive I totally line. do. Yeah, that's 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 really where I love him. I think he could be like that Trey Flowers, Michael Bennett type guy where, yeah, it might not be 12 sacks, 14 sacks a year. It's probably going to be six and a half, seven sacks, but a whole lot of what I like to say, fuck the play-up stats, which is not an official thing, mm-hmm. but he ruins the design of plays a lot. And, yeah, he doesn't get the tackle or anything on the stat line, but I look at it and go, well, the first guy that messed this play up was Rashawn Gary, and then somebody else got the sack or the tackle. 
tackle in the run game. And as a closing thought, the reason why so many people, I think, really value this defensive line edge class is because there are so few players at the NFL level now that you can line up and say, hey, there's a potential that you can win this one-on-one matchup. Like, really, the pillars to winning football are pass protecting with five, pass rushing with four, yep. winning the turnover differential, and creating big plays. That's, that's pretty strong there. You're right. And so creating that disruption with four is super difficult. We just saw the team that won the Super Bowl not have a single player, basically, yeah. that, hey, we can line you up and win. Trey Flowers got paid a lot of yeah. money, but that's not I even him. I think he got overpaid, too. I'll exactly. say that. So, right. so, but all these guys, your Ed Olivers, your Nick Boses, your Josh Allens, your – Rashawn Gary's, your Montez Sweat, your Brian Burns, they all offer that potential to win that individual matchup in each and every play, so that's why they're being projected so early. And to your point about the front four, which I think you're spot on there, I mean, yes, they won the Super Bowl, but the other team that was not that lost the Super Bowl, they did it with the front four. Exactly. The Eagles did it with the front four. The Atlanta Falcons did it with the front four. The Seattle Seahawks did it with the front four. The Denver Broncos did it with the front four. The Carolina Panthers, who were yeah. also in that Super Bowl, yeah. the front four. <laughs> None of them had to blitz because their front four right. could apply the pressure and you could keep seven back in coverage and confuse the quarterback that way. And, and what that means is for your coaches – it's being more multiple. You'll hear that word a lot this offseason, yes. being more multiple. That then just puts the pressure entirely on the coaches because right. they have to scheme it. And luckily for the Patriots, they had Calvin Noy. They had Dante Hightower, who, back going to their college games, rushed the passer quite a no bit. No doubt about it. You're and right. so they had that experience. Right. But not everyone is, as Chris knows, as well coached as the Patriots. I mean, yes. it makes a whole lot of sense. It was like playing uh, Super Tecmo Bowl back in the day and going against Lawrence Taylor, right? I mean, yes. you, couldn't, if, you couldn't stop Lawrence. You couldn't even run like an off-tackle die. No way. Any of that stuff. He's going to throw the guy out of the way and tackle the guy so in two seconds. It limited your play playbook to like three plays out of the eight <laughs> there was only six you could yeah, pick right, from anyways right. it was yeah. all, that makes that makes a whole lot of sense that's super interesting stuff is there anything else you want to talk about anything i'm too young for this couch basically okay oh there. two th- here last two things real quick and let's yeah. not make yeah. these long all right the devons the linebackers yeah yeah, yeah. who do you yeah. think's gonna go first in the devin draft white, devin, devin, devin bush, white and devin, devin bush, bush who are you, devin the bush cream of the crop in. at the middle linebacker position mm-hmm. i think devin white will be a top five pick all of a sudden yeah okay i think devin white top five pick yeah i think devin white might go number five to Tampa, correct? They are the five. You're right. You're the number five. That makes a lot of sense to me. But I highly doubt either one gets out of the top 15 because you have teams like the Bengals, uh, the Green Bay Packers, like some really good teams that are very in need of that off-ball linebacker spot. And there's a massive cliff after those two at that position. Yes, sir. So I agree with you there. I'm totally with you. I think Devin White, I don't know if I would go top five, but I'd certainly say top ten, and I do. I'm with you that neither one of them right. get out of the top 15. Last one, and then you got to get the hell out of here because okay. you disagreed with me way too okay. much here, uh, is the um, the tight ends. Yeah. I think you like Hawkinson a little better than Fant. So, I am a big Fant fan. Me too. I, I, I think Fant is going to be the one that goes first when all said and done. Interesting. I do. I really do. I would be shocked if it's the other way. I mean, we can put some wagers on this, some friendly wagers, whatever. No, I mean, the, the free Chris milkshakes. Often, Chris and the, often has some information, The spare money too. in his pocket can buy my condo, so I don't As think we, that we can do that. <laughs> no, it can't. You haven't met my wife. <laughs> um, but what I think about Noah Fant and T.J. Hawkinson, I actually, Chris, yeah. don't think you give enough credit for how good Noah Fant is in line. I, I'm with you. Yeah. He, no. Too often he gets compared to, like, an Evan Ingram. Too often he gets compared to a Jordan Reed. I, Did you know who he is to me? Dustin Keller. Remember Dustin Keller? Sure. And he was just hitting his peak right before the significant knee I could even say got. Jared Cook who yep. we're seeing. It's similar to me. I agree with you. That was the thing that blew me away. Right. Because I went into it and people were telling me, oh, Hawkinson, 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 Hawkinson. And I said, 
They have, Noah Fant is not a bad blocker here. There might be a few technique things where he misses, but it's not like he's afraid to block. It's not like it's Jordan Reed and Evan Ingram where they can get overpowered at times when they were coming out. I, this kid's got – I think he's, he's got, legit. He is legit. They're now, both legit, but I like Fant better than Hawkinson. And I don't think Noah Fant is quite as comfortable in space as like an Evan Ingram or Jordan Reed. I read what you said, and I agree there. Totally. Because those guys are basically running backs when they get in the open field. Right. They're make you miss – create space on yeah, the Yeah, he's more just a straight liner. I'm going to outrun you to the edge and maybe break an arm tackle or Wh- something like that. Which is super, super important. Yeah. He is more athletic than 98% of tight ends entering the league in the last few decades. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's absolutely it's pretty incredible. special. When I come back, when you talk about Jerry Tillery, yep. you talk about Miles Boykin because both those guys are I got like you. And I, Miles is definitely on my – Miles is definitely on my list for somebody that could start to creep up my board as far as the wide receiver can, position. Can I infiltrate your brain a little yeah, bit here? Yeah. He is eerily similar movement-wise to Martavis Bryant. Yeah. Big boy that can move so no freely and just eat up yards and just a couple I think strides. that, too. Only thing, I don't know if the straightaway speed there, but I know everything else, everything else I agree with okay. you there. Yeah, but totally. I, I got to see him in person a lot at Notre Dame, right. yeah. and I didn't really deep dive into him because, like, I know this guy. I've seen him. But then I went back and watched the film just a little bit, and I was like, holy crap, he's better than I gave him credit for even in person watching him at Notre Dame. And Tillery, same thing. And we'll get into that. I think you have him ranked a little too high, but I still really like him. (laughs) I don't. Again, heart palpitations seeing Jerry Jerry Tillery just for For how he bends and he's flexible. And he speaks Mandarin, so that's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. that to the scouting report. So do we have any bets? I feel like we've had a couple. Well, the one I want to bet is for sure is that Paris Campbell goes before Akeem Butler. We can bet like a lunch sandwich on that one. Oh, he don't sure, like why not? That. Okay. It's, a, it's a sandwich. It's a, yeah, but an expensive sandwich. Yeah, well, no, just from the company pricey, card. Yeah, is a that, New that, York bone-in strip steak sandwich. <laughs> do you want to? Do we want to do a Dwayne Haskins Drew Lock? Ooh, that's uh, a good you, one. Are you comfortable saying that Drew Lock will go ahead of? No, no, no. Um, I want to go Haskins. back to his running backs. I want to okay. go back to his running okay, backs. Okay, good. You, you pick. I picked one bet. You pick the next one. David Montgomery and Devin Singletary go before Rykel Armstead. Okay. The Temple oh. running back. Who you have, you yep. have is your number two, two. running back? I like Rick. Yeah, well, you're, you're in crazy town with that. <laughs> that's enough of you. Get out of here, okay? <laughs> You've been I've had enough off. of you. Subscribe, that's to, yes. yeah. Subscribe to the Rotor Road Football Podcast. Absolutely. Yes. And if Chris is on it, you might have to listen to it <laughs> alone. E. That's right. Not with your, man. Not with Thanks your, for uh, your kids. Nice. Awesome stuff. Josh Noah. No, seriously, Josh. You're the man. 50 online right now. Rotor World is writing about the NFL all the time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.